This week on Mouse Flicks, Star Wars. A whole lot of Star Wars. It's a D23 animation special, and Fox drops a fantastic flop. So silence your cell phones and settle in. You're listening to Episode 3 of the Mouse Flicks Podcast. Mouseflix is a fan-produced podcast dedicated to Disney film and entertainment. Lend us your ears for news, reviews, and commentary on the film house of Mouse. Mouseflix is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney Pictures, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, or their partners and subsidiaries. All opinions expressed via Mouseflix Media are solely those of the podcasters and do not represent the views of any other individual or entity. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mouseflix. I'm Kristen DiBiase. Over the past weekend, thousands of Disney fans had a magical time out in Anaheim, California at the annual gathering of Disney Disciples the D23 Expo. This is a major convention with all kinds of exhibits, workshops, and panels dedicated to Disney everything, including Disney parks and movies. Tons of people were there. Sadly, I wasn't one of them, so I consoled myself by wearing my mouse ears and sitting in a corner in the dark, rocking back and forth. Way less fun than it sounds. So, let's talk Mickey and the movies. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. It's time for news nibbles, so let's chow down. For those of you who want to rewatch everything in the Star Wars saga that's come before this new chapter, now you can do it in style with commemorative limited edition Blu-ray steelbooks. The films will be packaged as individual titles and also as the complete saga with brand new artwork. The collectibles are released on November 11th, but are currently available for pre-order. Bonus commentary goodies are included. Are you on the edge of your seat waiting for the Force to awaken? Do you hate math? Well, I've got just the thing for you. Here's a shout out to your new best friend, Star Wars Count Zero. Find him on Twitter at Star Wars Count Zero, that's the number zero, not the word, and let him do the counting for you. You're welcome. There will be a Star Wars land in both Anaheim and Orlando. It's official. Both expansions will be 14 acres, which explains the land Disney was buying up in the area adjacent to Disneyland, and confirms what everyone already thought about Hollywood Studios getting a major revamp. There will be two major rides, one of which involves the Millennium Falcon. The concept art looks awesome, so check it out in the show notes. While we're on the topic, During the Disney Legends ceremony, George Lucas got giddy for a moment and let it slip that he patterned the universally hated space moron Jar Jar Binks after none other than... Goofy? And y'all were worried that Bob Iger was gonna screw things up when Disney took over? Meanwhile, in a galaxy far, far away, Bob Iger has been playing down the potential success of The Force Awakens, saying we should be cautious when setting our box office expectations. He's claiming that Star Wars is much more domestic a phenomenon than a foreign one, and that international audiences have to get used to it again and might not do as well over there as everyone seems to think it will. I get it, when you underpromise, you always overdeliver, but psh, you know this is gonna do well. Boy, quit playing. I told you it was a whole lot of Star Wars. 
And that, friends, is that. So let's talk about Fantastic Four, or should I say talk around Fantastic Four, because it isn't a Disney Marvel picture. When you see a film that bears that familiar red and white Marvel placard, don't be fooled. Many films that involve some of our favorite Marvel characters, like Deadpool and the X-Men, don't actually come from Marvel Studios. The rights to various Marvel properties are a tangled web, due to deals made years ago before the Marvel Studios cinematic universe was conceptualized, with various character rights belonging to several different players, one of which is 20th Century Fox. Fox's strongest Marvel property is the X-Men and characters belonging in that series' universe, but they also currently enjoy the rights to the Fantastic Four. Which sounds good on paper, because it's one of the original flagship Marvel comics created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. In reality, it's a badly mismanaged franchise that Fox has consistently failed to convert to box office success. In its first week in theaters, Fantastic Four pulled in a paltry $33.9 million dollars, and as of this recording, Fantastic Four's ratings were scraping the bottom of the barrel, with a dismal 22% audience favorability rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with critics' ratings hanging by a thread at 8%. The film cost around $122 million to make, and in light of the numbers we're seeing now, could be heading down right off-road. Talk was already negative after early reviews, but any chance of recovery was doomed before the opening credits rolled. The night before the film opened, director Josh Trank went the not-my-circus-not-my-monkeys route and hopped on Twitter to do a little damage control. Trank told the Twitterverse he'd always had a better version that we'd probably never see, but, and I quote, that's just reality. Even though the tweet disappeared, screen caps were already created nearly immediately after it went up. But independent of social media, it seemed like Trank did a pretty good job on other fronts in contributing to this film's failure all on his own. In addition to his Twitter tantrum, sources say his behavior during the project definitely didn't make him any friends. It was said that at points he cloistered himself, couldn't make decisions, was hostile to actors and producers, and didn't communicate well with, well, I guess anyone. And he allegedly also let his dogs completely trash the house where he stayed during filming, to the tune of about 100k. However, other sources say that his claims do have merit, and that at least three major scenes were either scrapped or so radically changed against his wishes that the results were unrecognizable. Regardless of how much fault does or doesn't lie with him, it looks like Disney is in no mood to attach themselves to that kind of diva behavior, because Trank is no longer associated with one of the Star Wars spin-off projects. Ouch. Fox was under pressure to get something on screen involving these characters. If the studio doesn't produce a Fantastic Four film within certain intervals, the rights automatically revert back to Marvel Studios. Incidentally, this is why you keep seeing comic franchise reboots all the time. Industry analysts had projected that Fantastic Four would open with at least $40 million. Even the original version in 2005, which also had a chilly reception, opened with $56 million. The most recent film, Rise of the Silver Surfer, came out in 2007 and also failed to inject some life back into this franchise. With those two lackluster releases and the current flop, what is the end game here? Is Fox going to just keep throwing good money after bad? The studio had previously announced a sequel for 2017, but who knows what will happen in light of current events. Internet fanboys are cooking up conspiracy theories and postulating that this whole debacle was a hit job pulled by Disney behind the scenes, but I found that doubtful. 
I mean, okay, I will concede to the discontinuation thing. Marvel announced that they're not going to be publishing Fantastic Four comics anymore. That, I can definitely see as a way to undermine the franchise. But come on, Disney doesn't really need to do much to tank this. Fox is doing a great job. This is basically a Christmas present for Disney. If I was a Fox exec, right about now is when I'd be making some kind of deal that really starts looking like a good idea. Both Disney and Fox know that if it languishes long enough, Fantastic Four and all its associated characters go bye-bye, which is, in many people's opinion, what needs to happen. Fans agree that this series is a classic that deserves to be done justice on screen, and they want it to get back into the hands of people who actually know what to do with it. Instead of a whimpering relapse, why not get out now while the getting is still able and just sell it back? Or at a minimum, do what Sony did. Sony has recently shown a little cooperation with Disney. They've made a deal to let Spider-Man make an appearance in Captain America Civil War, which is coming out next year. But there's another, more unsatisfying option, and that's having the foursome show up playing second fiddle as supporting heroes in other characters' movies, just so Fox can keep the rights in its clutches. Fox, come on. Stop trying to make fetch happen. You're embarrassing yourselves. And now, our feature presentation. It's the Mouseflix D23 Animation Special. Attendees, of course, got to hear the latest news on Marvel and Star Wars, but there was a lot of exciting news from Disney Animation and Pixar. While they didn't give updates on every single animated film they have coming out, there was still plenty of dish on some animated projects. First off, if you loved Inside Out, you've got a treat coming. A special short, Riley's First Date? is being included as a bonus feature with Inside Out's digital HD and Blu-ray releases. In the story, emotions run wild when a boy shows up at Riley's house. Remember that guy Riley passes near the end of the movie? Well, when Dad opens the door, there he is on the front step. The lucky crowd there got to see the whole thing, but thanks to ABC, we peasants can also get a glimpse of at least a little bit. We'll link to a sneak peek video in the show notes. This year is the 20th anniversary of Toy Story, which was an historic film. This was Pixar's very first feature, and also the first computer-animated film they released in theaters. To celebrate, Pixar gave updates for Toy Story 4, which is scheduled to be released in June 2017. John Lasseter said it's a different take than we've seen before, a love story about the relationship between Woody and Bo Peep that was inspired by his wife. The new information comes in tandem with the Disney Parks panel's announcement of another big addition to Disney's Hollywood Studios, Toy Story Land. The land will cover 11 acres and will be scaled up to make parkgoers feel like they're Andy's toys, with two large attractions, a family coaster based on the Slinky Dog and a flying saucer ride with the Little Green Aliens. Incidentally, in the meantime, if you're really jonesing for some playroom gang, you can check out Toy Story Time for God which is a direct-to-video dino adventure that's not really being hyped, but it will be available on Blu-ray and DVD November 3rd this year. A June 2016 follow-up to Finding Nemo focuses on the forgetful character Dory, voiced by Ellen DeGeneres. In Finding Dory, Dory has a moment of clarity and remembers she has a family and goes off in search of them. Lots of Ellen's celebrity voice pals are coming back, including Albert Brooks as Nemo's dad Marlin and Willem Dafoe as Gil, 
with newcomers Diane Keaton and Eugene Levy, who are playing Dory's parents, Jenny and Charlie. The original child actor who played the voice of Little Nemo himself has actually been replaced because his voice has changed. Ah, puberty, why must you ruin everything? A lot of the plot will take place in a marine center and involve some themes of animal protection, so I'm curious to see if that'll have any impact on SeaWorld since they're still fighting the effects of that movie Blackfish. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was a special guest at the showcase and came out to tell the crowd about Moana, which is a film about a young woman in the South Pacific who goes on a journey after her grandmother dies, in search of an island her grandmother had always told her about. The Rock plays the demigod Maui, who takes part in the journey as well. He said it was always his dream to be part of the Disney family of films. One personal touch the director said is a recurring theme in Moana is the idea of the ocean being personified, which is a nod to how Pacific Islanders often revere the ocean as its own being. The ocean is a friend to Moana from when she is very young, and that relationship figures heavily into the story throughout the movie. I think we can all expect that this will be the next Disney princess as well. Moana premieres in November 2016. The film Coco is going to be centered around Mexican culture, particularly El Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead. Apparently, Coco is Spanish for boogeyman. The main character is a 12-year-old boy called Miguel, and he's involved in some type of a mystery. Some bits of different scenes were shown at D23, but there wasn't as much time spent on this particular film. The vibrant flair and ritual that surrounds the Day of the Dead is beautiful, and so it should be really exciting to see Disney Animation's take on the holiday. There's no release date set, but the film is expected to come out in fall 2017. Once Upon a Time star Jennifer Goodwin came out as a surprise guest and shed a little light on the inhabitants of Zootopia, which is coming out in March 2016 and stars her and Jason Bateman. Goodwin voices the rabbit police officer Judy Hopps. Zootopia is a society completely made up of animals. They all walk upright and talk and interact like humans, and just like humans, stereotype each other and establish a societal pecking order. The settings in the film are distinctly matched to the natural characteristics of the different animals who live there. The Judy character is very earnest and wants to take on real responsibilities as a police officer, and she has something to prove because she's the first rabbit on the force and everyone thinks she's too small and not tough enough to handle big cases. She gets sidelined as a parking cop, but then she gets her big chance when a missing animals case falls into her lap. But solving the case involves working with Jason Bateman's character Nick Wilde, a shifty fox. The animators are extremely excited about this film. The movie that's coming out closest to now is The Good Dinosaur, which will debut on November 25th. What would happen if the asteroid that wiped out all of the dinosaurs had never made impact? This film imagines it and follows the story of Arlo and Apatosaurus. After Arlo's dad dies in a tragic accident, he gets swept away from the rest of his family on a river current and makes a new friend, a feral cave boy named Spot. The animators are aiming to show the most true-to-life backgrounds possible in this movie, with flowers and trees looking very photorealistic. The last time I saw a golden egg, it involved Mickey outwitting a huge, dim-witted oaf. But in 2018, Disney's got something new up its sleeve with Gigantic, a different version of the old fairy tale Jack and the Beanstalk. The twist on the classic story involves an itty-bitty grown-up Jack, teaming up with a giant lost 11-year-old to help her find her way home and fight against some bad guy frost giants along the way. Nathan Grano, who directed Tangled, is at the helm of the film, 
and the songs for Gigantic will be written by those talented yet so evil masterminds behind Let It Go, Robert Lopez, and Kristen Anderson Lopez. The real Frozen treat at D23 was a musical sing-along called Frozen Fandemonium, which featured special guests Kristen Bell and Josh Gad singing their roles as Anna and Olaf. Beyond D23, here are some other rumors about Frozen 2, which was previously announced as in development. Spoiler alert, in case you don't want to hear anything. The Lopez's, of course, will be back, but we don't know when it's coming out yet. Plot-wise, the word on the street is that we'll discover the origins of Elsa's powers. The main villain is said to be a character that is the polar opposite of Elsa, bringing fire into the mix to fight the ice, and that person also just might dupe perky sweet Anna into becoming a villain. Which makes sense. After all, her heart did get turned into a popsicle in the first one. We're now able to see the first photos of superhero Black Panther, who will be featured in Captain America Civil War. Picks are in the show notes. Just a note, these photos are of the stunt double, not the actor. Check out the suit and compare it to the concept art. Yay? Nay? I don't know if I like it. I mean, granted, you can't really get the full effect in those photos, but right now I'm not the biggest fan. Black Panther is being played by Chadwick Boseman, who lit up the screen in two critically acclaimed biopics about American legends, 42 and Get On Up. I really want to see how he does with this. He was good as Jackie Robinson, but Jackie's presence was very reserved. Where he really came alive was when Hollywood put him in the shoes of a big personality like James Brown. He was amazing. He had the moves down. He had the voice down. He had the swagger double down. Chadwick Boseman was the godfather of soul like Jamie Foxx was Ray Charles. I love this guy. And last but not least, big ups to Mike Healer, who found every single character from Disney that showed up in the supercut of Uptown Funk. Thanks for listening, Mai, and thanks for finding it on our Facebook page. And that's a wrap. Mouse Flicks is a production of Mouse Flicks Media and is produced by me, Kristen DiBiase. The Mouse Flicks podcast theme features music by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. To all of you out there in the world or the land, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Tell your friends, yell it from the rooftops, and most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Comments, questions, or suggestions? Email us at mouseflix at gmail.com. Find us on the web at www.mouseflix.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mouseflix. And tweet us at mouseflixcast on Twitter. We'll talk to you soon, and remember, popcorn's always better with a little pixie dust. So when I told my husband about The Rock being in Moana with the moving tattoos, he says, so did they up the budget for all the arm butter? I said, fool, it's animated. He says, and? It's probably a writer in The Rock's contract.